blessing announcements other than uh, we will pray and for your safe travels and watch out for drunk drivers because it's New Year's Eve. So God is good and he's protected us thus far. We have the call to worship. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent worship before God. Let us stand to sing hymn 244-244. Darkness grim, we tremble. 
kingdom is forever and ever, Lord. We are thankful that we are in it now and have a taste of some of its glory as we are here gathered as the people of God. In Christ Jesus, we continue to pray for more of your spirit, that we would continue, Lord, to be grateful, to continue to have the strength we need to carry on day by day and to always glorify you, God Almighty. We are grateful again for a time of worship, to be with the saints, and above all, to focus, to have a special time where we don't have work and other distractions, God, but we can especially praise and honor you. We ask these things in your name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. We have hymn 432, 432. through four. By grace I'm saved, grace free and boundless. My soul believe and doubt it not. Why stagger at this word of promise as scripture ever also then this word must to remain by grace you too shall have obtained by grace none dare lay claim to merit our works and conduct have no worth God in his love sent our Jesus to this sinful earth. His death did for our sins atone, and we are saved by grace alone. By grace God's Son, our holy Savior, came down to 
earth to bear our sin. Was it because of your forbearance that Jesus died for soul to win? No, it was grace and grace alone that brought him from his heavenly throne. By grace, so mark this word of promise when you are by your sins oppressed. When Satan plagues your troubled conscience, when your heart is What reason cannot comprehend God by His grace to you will send. Amen. Psalm 130b. I'll be preaching on that sometime. Psalm 130b. I'm one third of the way through. 30b. Continue to deliver and save us, God, through sanctification as you promised in your word, Lord, to continue to redeem us 
with your mighty arm of power and might. We're grateful, God, that we feel the first stirrings of that now in this life, that we, Lord, are indeed moved and motivated by faith and love, gifts from your Holy Spirit. In particular, Lord Jesus Christ, this evening as we are your people here, we pray, continue to ask, Lord, for your mercies upon our body. This is the temple that you have given us, the temple of the Holy Spirit, in which we are to take care of to the best of our ability, Lord, as we balance various and sundry things in our life, God. And so may we have wisdom in that regard, perseverance with respect to our conviction and truth of what we can do to take care of ourselves, God, and especially encouragement for those who are distraught for dealing with their physical concerns of their body that seems, uh, Lord, and indeed is, as we all know, from the day we are born, we are slowly uh, dying in our body and moving towards heaven. And God and Savior, we think of those who have chronic ailments in that regards, one way or another, something that came upon them shortly, perhaps, or they've been with them for many, many years, but is not easily going away. Our God and Savior, have mercy upon them. Bring healing, we pray. Uh, give them good doctors, give them good medicine, or even if they don't know exactly how it happened, Lord, but we know in all these things, it's through your hand, God. And God, thus, we also pray that we would continue to encourage them as we can to pray for them, uh, to give them helpful advice if possible, Lord. And above all, Lord, always to rely upon you. We ask, God, that we would continue to do what we can for our diet and our exercise, Lord, and other ways in which we can maintain health with uh, medicine and vitamin pills, perhaps, and avoiding difficult situations for our body, God, and remembering, Lord, that we are getting older, some of us, and even the youth, Lord, that they would get good and, and established habits of their body to maintain safety protocols with driving and the like, and not uh, think they can always have good reflexes all the days of their life. And God above, as we think about these things of the young and the children, Lord, we ask for your continued special protection upon them, uh, that they, Lord, would be protected both body and soul uh, from abuse, Lord, from the lies of the devil, from bad neighbors and neighbor kids, Lord, uh, who perhaps curse or are violent or otherwise uh, other problems, Lord, that can affect our children of the covenant. We ask for your mercies upon them, Lord God Almighty, that they would continue to love you, that, God, that they would submit to your word, that they would love their parents and love the church of Jesus Christ, that they would withstand the temptation of the world, the temptation of the devil, of the call, Lord, of rebellion that's expected in our society for our children and young adults, that they would follow the path of holiness, God, with conviction and strength and our encouragement, Lord, that we would come alongside them even, Lord, certainly we're not their parents in many cases, God, but we can be a good example or perhaps give them some encouraging words, Lord, and certainly always to pray for them. Our God and Savior, we ask in particular for the young adults, the teenagers and like and older, for strength to find and wisdom, Lord, a vocation in life, that they can find godly spouses, God, and a good employment for themselves, we pray. And Lord Jesus, we ask your continued mercies upon those who were members of our church or churches in the past, God, people we know, perhaps from other churches and friends of ours who are erring, that are in danger, Lord, because they insist upon unbiblical beliefs, Lord, dangerous unbiblical beliefs and doctrines or practices in their life, and in some cases have been disciplined by the church unto repentance that they would change their actions, change their beliefs, Lord, and they have not. And so they have been casted out of the body, but they were once of us. And we ask for your continued mercies upon them, Lord. Bring them back, bring them to repentance, whoever they may be. Again, family members perhaps, former members of even our church, Lord. Some way, somehow, as only your spirit can, you would melt their hearts and bring them back to you 
to a godly church somewhere in their life. And Lord Jesus, we think of those who are church leaders as well who have been disciplined and other presbyteries. Uh, and, and even in our lifetime, even if we don't know who they are exactly, that you have mercy upon them as well. And you would withdraw and withhold any influence, negative and bad influence they would have if they've left the churches, whether our fellowship or another denomination, and are running off to perpetuate error and danger, God, upon souls. That you would shut their mouths, Lord, and above all, convert their hearts. And Lord Jesus, we ask, last of all, for our continued growth and sanctification of holiness, of a zeal and desire, God, to be obedient to your word, even to our own suffering at times, God, if need be. Because it can be hard to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Lord, it may even involve suffering at times. I ask, God, for all of us, every one of us here and those who are not able to make it, that we would redouble our efforts in that regard, always with respect to your mercies, to pray and call out to you for strength and more of your Spirit upon us, God Almighty, that we may be obedient, we may grow in love and faith and compassion for one another as well. Our God and Savior, we'd be more like Jesus in all things, to the best of our ability, to the best of the which you've given us, God. Sometimes we feel we haven't gone far enough, and may we be encouraged that in, Lord, not to give up, but to persevere, to keep on keeping on our Lord and Savior, as you've promised in your word that we can indeed do these things. Be with us, we pray, this evening, and give us rest for tomorrow and this week, God, to be refreshed and energized from the worship of you and putting aside distractions on this day that we can carry forth the kingdom work this week as you've promised in your word, as you work through us. We ask these things in the blood of Christ Jesus. Amen. We now have our tithes and offerings. Again, we're grateful for an opportunity to give these tithes and offerings and ask, Lord, that we would have uh, more blessings, Lord, so that we can give more for the work of the kingdom and ask for your wisdom upon the congregation and the leadership in particular, Lord, and dispensing of these funds for the good of the people and above all, for your glorious namesake to be honored. Amen. You may be seated. Our text is Psalm 49. As you know, I'm going through one psalm a month, so we're about a third of the way there now. 150 psalms total. Psalm 49. I'll be doing the entire psalm. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. 
Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beast that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed upon them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him, though while he lives he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. He shall never see light. A man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beasts that perish. Let us pray. In this sobering passage, God, you've given us here to read, that we may contemplate, Lord, the dangers of trusting in wealth and prosperity in this day and world that we live in, for it shall lead only to death, and indeed all things shall go the way of the beast, God. And may it humble us, and may we recognize your mercies upon us, God, and flee the dangers of materialism in which we put we put too much trust and reliance upon the things of this world, especially, God, wealth and prosperity, as is a great danger in this nation. Our God and Savior, help us, precious spirit, to be equipped, therefore, to contemplate serious matters of life and death here in this psalm with respect to wealth. In your name we pray, amen. So we next here turn to an interesting psalm, if only because not many psalms like this one. I think in the opening few verses, if you read it without realizing it's called Psalm 49, if I just put it up on the board and gave you the words, here, here all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and rich, high, low and high, rich and poor, my mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding, incline my ear to a proverb, and disclose my dark sayings on a harp. That's the language of the Proverbs. That's the pattern of writing of the Proverbs. It's a proverbial psalm. The psalms are broken up four or five ways. Psalms of hymns and praise and ascension and like. And yet one of the psalms can be understood as psalms of Proverbs. They're instructional psalms more than psalms of praise before God. And you see that here. Hear this, all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world. You see a similar kind of language in the Proverbs. The wisdom shouts in the street, says, Hey, everybody, listen to me. I speak wisdom. Dark saying is a particular way of speaking of Proverbs as well. So it's a song set to proverbial teaching in form and content. The form is the words used, the pattern that you recognize, I hope. And the content, of course, is about wisdom. Heed the wisdom. And it's a, wisdom is particularly about wealth and death and the relationship between the two, especially with respect to unbelievers who put their hope and trust in the things of this world. Matthew Henry likens it to a sermon about moral danger of trusting in wealth and prosperity instead of the source of all wealth, our God above. And it's a sobering and intense psalm. 
Lots about death here. But I hope it's instructive for you and encouraging as we take its lesson to heart. So let us proceed. The first point, hearken to wisdom. It's a call here in the opening verses. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world. A call for listeners, whoever they may be, presumably those seeking wisdom. And maybe if you're on the fence, he hopes you listen to him as well and garner a lesson that they ought to learn. It's more like a sermon, as I said, in a song form. Dark sayings is another way of speaking of Proverbs. Now, the type of listeners, verse 2, both low and high and rich and poor all together, he's just saying all kinds of stratas of life. We would just say all kinds of people, but again, it's poetic, so you want to use more flower language and be a little more concrete, as the Jews tend to be. Not just people in general, but rich people and poor people, and we would say middle class people, all kinds of people with respect to social status in society. It doesn't matter what they are, they all need wisdom. And the particular kind of wisdom he's going to give them in this psalm. It's a universal lesson that death comes for all and wealth shall fade away. It is not lasting. Wealth and prosperity are indeed fleeting. This proverbial wisdom, the word he uses here, wisdom, verses 3 to 4, my mouth shall speak wisdom. And to give understanding, right, that's two of the three words used often in the Proverbs, to have wisdom, to have understanding, and to have knowledge. That's the third one. Here you see these two are in parallel. I shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be about understanding, and then he goes a little further, I'll incline my ear to a proverb. It's literally called a proverb. I will disclose my dark sayings on a harp. Those are parallel ideas using different words and uh, beautiful ways of describing where he's going to go with this for his audience. And so it fits this, again, proverbial category. Uh, again, with parallelisms, as you know, you say the same things in different words in Hebrew poetry. They don't rhyme by sound. They rhyme by ideas. And the proverb, of course, is more practical and present-oriented as this is. The things of this world, the prosperity, and the posterity as well, and your house, and your inheritance, and the generations to come, he speaks of. So it's more about God's law, and the practical considerations, and observed human activities and principles of God's moral universe. The psalmist's concern in particular, verse 5, which comes up again in verse 15 and 16, the bulk of the psalm is describing and painting the bleak picture of the unbeliever who relies upon the prosperity and the glories of this world. Fear not the wicked who are prosperous, we read. More or less, why should I fear in the days of evil? Verse 5, when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me. The iniquity at my heels is quite a graphic description there. I'm surrounded by evil men. They're hounding me. We would say they're at my heels. Where can I go? Everywhere I go, there's these rich, evil men trying to take me out. We don't know, again, the specifics as often is the case in the Psalms. But whatever it is, and most people would be fearful. He's trying to remind himself and others, don't be afraid of these men, these men of wealth, these evil, iniquitous men of wealth. He's not just talking about rich people in general. We know Abraham and others were wealthy, and they were godly. But unfortunately, many wealthy people are not godly. And they wish to tear down and destroy him, and perhaps tear down and destroy the church of old, and even the churches of old today. This happens as well. Israel, as we know, is often assailed by enemies, mortal enemies of the body. And at the same time, 
mortal enemies of the soul. They came in, destroyed their bodies, but also destroyed their souls with pagan worship, as we know. The two went together back then. And frankly, they go together today in many ways. The church over the history, 2,000 years, 4,000 years, Abraham, excuse me, David was about 900 B.C. Abraham was about 1,800 B.C. The church has survived those who assailed and hate them. That's what he's talking about here. They come after me, they hate me, they want to destroy me, they're at my heels like yapping dogs. Growling pit bull. We saw a pit bull the other day, and I was trying to get my wife in the car away from the pit bull. They're dangerous and unreliable. Not just the pit bull, but wicked, rich men. And that's what he highlights here. Those who trust in their wealth, verse 6, and he continues to explain who these iniquitous people are who are hounding him at his heels, who boast in the multitude of riches. Uh, They are like fools who perish. They leave their wealth. Their thoughts are, my house will last forever. And their beauty should be consumed in the grave and the like. Politicians, businessmen, Hollywood types, social influencers, that's the equivalent of rich, evil people today. Many of them are in those categories. Praise the Lord, not all of them are like that. But that's what he's talking about. And they have a lot of power and influence. We should not kid ourselves. Money can buy off witnesses, and can buy off judges, and can buy bullies and people who can harass you. And you try to take them on in the court, they got all the money to go through all the court system and you're going broke. These things happen to churches. These things happen to Christians, as we know. Uh, we know Christians in the last five, six years who've had to go to the Supreme Court of Arizona and like and end up losing their business because they want to stand upon what they believe God tells them to do. And we pray for them, but they, they're rich and they're hateful and they rely upon their wealth to hound and go after the heels of the wicked. So I'm describing verse 5 here as well as 15 and 16, but God will redeem my soul. 16 in particular, do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when one of them, it's saying, when the glory of his house is increased. Right, The millionaires who are hounding me are getting more wealthy. This is terrible. What's up with that? That's what he's talking about and he's reminding himself and us, don't look at that. They're going to fade away. They're going to pass away like the beast of the field. But I want to give you one graphic illustration. Graphic, terrible word. Specific illustration of today of wicked rich men hounding God's people. Tech millionaire Tim Gill is targeting religious conservatives. He was interviewed about this back in about 2017. And that year, he poured over $400 million into advancing LGBT causes. Gill succeeded in torpedoing, if you remember this, the religious freedom bills like the one in Georgia that year. Not content with victory, he is, in his own words, out to punish the wicked. You. That's what he's talking about. As many as he can, the interview describes. And when you, I don't encourage you to see that. It can be very discouraging being on top of the news all the time. I don't encourage that for most people. And you see this kind of stuff, you're like, wow, we are outgunned. I can see why the psalmist is like, I have the iniquities. They're at my heels. They're everywhere. But I shouldn't be afraid. And there's a reason why we shouldn't be afraid. He's going to give this, these reasons right here. Trusting in this wealth, as Tim Gill does, leads to death. In the second verses 5 through 14, we shouldn't fear these evil men because their prosperity will die. 
Everything about their existence is vanity. Verse 6 tells us that they trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of the riches. Look what I can do. Look what I can accomplish. My own wicked gains and aims. The trust, of course, here is in a specific sense, too much reliance upon it. Uh, we have to you know, trust our boss to pay us so we can rely on the money to pay off the bills. That's an ordinary way of speaking. We're all okay at that. That's not what he's talking about here, obviously. It's a reliance upon this in contrast to the God of the universe who is the source of all wealth. These are unbelievers. It's one thing to rely on wealth in the sense of I need it to feed my family. And it's another, as these people do, to put all their hopes and dreams into this world. The danger of prosperity, not just the wealth in the narrow sense, of course, he uses the word wealth, but it's a psalm slash proverb, and these concrete expressions are shorthand for a broader idea. It's not just the wealth, it's all the prosperity that goes with the wealth. And you see that because you start talking about other things, a house, Inheritance or dwelling place to all generations that he gives to his kids, apparently. He even calls it um, uh, wisdom elsewhere uh, and uh, glory and honor that they have later on in the verses. Jesus answered and said to them, as you recall in Mark 10, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? And here we have this in spades. So the warning for us as well, not just for the evil, wicked people who are full of money, if they happen to be the case, the psalm comforts us who are harried by such rich people like Tim Gill, yet even as it shows the vanity of life here in this psalm about his life, if he does not repent, it's a warning for us to flee materialism as well. Certainly it's here to encourage us, and I will highlight that more and more, but I will remind us you can also learn the lesson not to fall and go down the path of relying upon the prosperity and the wealth and the prestige of this world. It will fade away like the beast of the field. If riches increase, we read in Psalm 62, do not set your hearts on them. It can increase and increase for Abraham. The danger for us is putting our hearts upon it. Too much desire, too much reliance, too much dependence. We need to avoid that. Redeemed by wealth is an interesting way of looking at this here. He continues on. Verse 7, 8, 9, after he describes the rich, evil men boasting in the multitude of the riches, none of them, these rich people, can buy any means, redeem his brother, buy him back, deliver his soul from the pit of hell. You can't get enough wealth and money to buy God off. And what that means, I don't know exactly. It could be the crassness, as some of the pagan religions were back then, of literally being rich enough to buy off the priest to pay off God, right, with the sacrifices or something. Look at all the good works is another way of doing it. The rich people can say, look at all the good works I've done. I'm a billionaire and I put 5% of my, my money <laughs> uh, for the poor people, 1% in some cases, and that should be enough that God's happy with me. Whatever the case is, it is wrong and it won't work. <laughs> the redemption of the souls is costly. They can't redeem their closest brother, the one they love, with all their wealth. It is in the grand scheme of eternity. Exactly what he's talking about. The wealth is indeed fading away. The redemption of their souls is costly. I'd say it's costly. It's like 
invaluable. You, you couldn't get enough money to buy off a soul from hell. It shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit, that he desires to pay him off so that he doesn't have to uh, live in hell and live forever instead. It's not going to work. Wise men die, verse 10. So here we have him talking about wise men. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. The unbeliever sees this, Tim Gill sees this, but he doesn't draw the right conclusion. That he shouldn't be relying upon the things of this world, but upon Jesus Christ to sanctify him, to change him and redeem him or us or anybody else. Wise and foolish alike perish. So here we have a sub-theme, right, where he highlights this here and again elsewhere, and I think a third, more, a third time, where she says they're all equal before death. Being smarter, in other words, doesn't make one immortal, doesn't satisfy God, no matter how clever you are or smart you are, his wealth will slip through his fingers like sand. Like the pharaohs of old, it's the first thing that came to my mind, some of the rich act like they can take it with them. They bury themselves with their treasures. And where's their treasure now but under sand? And other people own it. It's now stuck in the museum. The prestigious will die, verses 11 through 15. Their inner thought, that is, again, this rich person who relies upon their wealth, their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations they call their lands after their own names. We have three things going on here. He's building up one description after another. They're all saying the same thing a little differently, aren't they? That he will have the prestige of his name of his house. We talk about house. This is, this is my house. This is my inheritance. This is who I am, the Mathis house, the Mathis family, for generations and generations. And in fact, I have lands in my own name so that when I fade away, my name will still be there. Right? My name will still be there. They put their names on what? Libraries, museums. I've seen it at our library. Thank you for giving us this, this some of your money. And I'm fine with that. It's not necessarily inherently wrong to do that, to honor the people who are honoring the community by providing these services, by giving money. I can't give that kind of money. They can. Good. Do it. But if they're relying upon that to buy off God with good works, it means nothing. They form trusts and funds in their name. So it's the family name or a house, David's house we talk about and the like. They call it lands after their own names. And although they know they literally can't live forever, they're hoping their name, that is their prestige, will live forever. But the answer is what? Verse 12, yet man, though in honor, right? So he's rich, he may be wise, and he has honor or prestige, does not remain. He is like the beast that perish. The rich will be buried into the ground right next to that pit bull. It's all the same. Evolution is a lie, as we know. We don't come from monkeys or fish from the sea. But we are similar to animals in several functions and parts, as we know. And so we can learn from them, and that's how God designed it, and that's good. And we ought to do it carefully and not maliciously. And yet, nevertheless... Like the beast, we shall die as well. They die, we die, their body fades into the earth, our body fades into the earth. In other words, the equality we often speak and brag about in America, 
We're all the same. We're all equal. They're able to say we're equal before God. It's fleeting because our equality is found in death outside of Christ. Death is the great equalizer. The American people, of course, are being lied to and lied to themselves when they talk about equality. They know some people are smarter than others. Others are more clever than others. Others have more practical experience than others. It's a simple fact of life. Some are taller. Some are stronger. There's just no way around it. But all that fades before death. You cannot put reliance upon any of that. For death will come to all. The rich, the prestigious, the honorable, they will lose it all on that day when God has called them to the great judgment. We have movies and books with death all throughout, to be sure. Yet rarely do we slow down, as Americans, I think, to contemplate death as the great equalizer. The Bible does this and does it well. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. Verses 13 14 of this psalm. In spite of such sobering and terrifying words, Christians have hope and comfort. We have here in verse 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. They shall be equalized in death with the animals, but we shall be resurrected with a glorified body. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, and he shall receive me. Shall be brought up, we are adopted, justified, and sanctified, brothers and sisters. And as he describes why we should not fear the evil rich men, that they are like sheep that are laid to the grave and death shall feed upon them. It's a terrifying picture. But God will redeem my soul. Christians, above all, can look at death in a way the world cannot. They try to hide behind it from their wealth, in particular here as we're talking about the wealthy. And so they can look young and maybe even live a little longer. They have the best medical care, the best doctors, the best chirogenics or something. (laughs) They do. And sometimes you can be envious, or in this case, fearful, because they're going to still live longer. We talk about Soros. He's an evil man in many ways. It's publicly known. One of the things he believes and promotes. He's not dead yet. He's still here. And that could be fearful for Christians. It should not be. His way, unless he repents, is the way of the sheep that are laying to grave, and death shall feed on them. But God will redeem us. We will outlast them, brothers and sisters. Our hope is in the power of God through Christ to raise us from the dead. This is the Old Testament hope and his way of speaking of this reality. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as you recall, Jesus and the Sadducees were sad, as you see. Nice way of remembering it, because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in any of this stuff. And yet here it is. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. What's the power of the grave? Over your body. And of course, over the soul, because the two are supposed to go together. It shall not hold you down. There is a resurrection. And David and the psalmist of old believed in it and trusted in God in it. We who repent and trust in him will be redeemed and brought from the power of death. We should not be afraid of the rich, even men like Tim Gill. Third point, fear not the wicked and their wealth, verses 15 to 20. So overlapping here, God will redeem. Be afraid when one becomes rich. When the glory of his house is increased, 
warning again of fear, or in this case, do not be afraid. Because God's redemption is sure. Reiterating point five here, the riches of the wicked may increase in the land and possession and power and prestige and honor and may even lord it over their God's people as they did of old when the wicked came in and, and ruined their lives. Babylon ruled over Israel for those 70 years. Yet their end is sure. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Any greatness of the wicked in this life fades after the great equalizer of the grave. All glory washes away like dirt off the tombstone during a shower. Sure, the wicked, wealthy man thinks he's got it all. Though while he lives, we read here, verse 18, he blesses himself, right? I've done great. For when, uh, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself, and men praise themselves as well when they do well for themselves. Yet he shall go to the generation of his fathers, we read. They shall never see light. What's the generation of his fathers? Where are his fathers now? They're dead. It's a poetic way of saying they're dead. To go be with your fathers, to be received with them, is an old way of speaking, going to the grave. You shall go to the generation of his fathers, they shall never see the light, the light of God's glory, of grace, of life. Life more abundantly in Christ Jesus. A man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beast that perish. There's that theme again from verse 12. All this and this sober description of trusting in wealth, and that leads to death, that you would not fear them, brothers and sisters. But fear he who has given them wealth that they have wasted instead of glorifying him, glorifying themselves, of being fools, even though they are honored as wise men. Brothers and sisters, it is true there are wicked people with money going after the churches, or maybe wicked people going after your company or job or your neighborhood. Sometimes the temptation to see the prosperity of the wicked, I see them, they multiply, they're getting better, the glory of his house is increased, and they keep doing more wicked things, God, where's justice? Is sometimes what Christians cry out. In either case, and in all cases, remember, wealth is fleeting. They shall go the way of all flesh, and pass away. Honor and prestige cannot redeem them and cannot redeem anybody. Our salvation and deliverance has and will come from Christ Jesus our Lord. God will redeem my soul, our souls, brothers and sisters, from the power of the grave, for he shall receive us. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, God above, you are our great Redeemer, our great Father, our great Savior. You have ransomed us the blood of Jesus Christ. And we glory in this fact, God. Help us, Lord, to eschew and flee from materialism, God. But as in particular, Lord, here, we see the emphasis upon not fearing the days of evil, not fearing those who have power and influence in society, not just uh, rich men and big conglomerates, but also politicians with power and influence, Lord, who come after churches in the light, God, that their day shall come. And that we should, Lord, certainly pray for the redemption Pray for the repentance, but above all, continue to trust in you and not live in fear. Help us to that end, we pray, that this psalm would encourage us therein. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen. Let us stand and let us rejoice before our God with Psalm 49, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 49, verses 1 through 4.
Hear this, all you peoples, listen, all who in the whole world dwell. Low and high, both rich and needy, hear the message I will tell. From my heart comes understanding, I speak wisdom from my mouth. I will listen to a proverb, mysteries on my harp expound. Why should I fear your days of evil when the wicked hem me in? Those who boast of great possessions, trusting in their wealth they sin. Surely none can pay the ransom price to save a soul from death. None can give to God the ransom. None can buy another's breath. Ransom for a life is costly. None sufficient price can pay. So that one should live immortal, free forever from decay. For we see that life is ending, wise and foolish all will die. They must leave their wealth to others, none can death's demand defy. Graves will be their homes forever, veneration. Though they owned while they were living, lands to which they gave their name. Man, despite his wealth, is mortal, like the beast, he fades away. Thus the self-assured will perish, though renowned for what they say. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.